All right, welcome to the Teaching a Rockstar podcast, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Christopher Wallert. What I love about this guy, you know what, here's what most of us do, including myself, this is what I do, I'm trying to impact how we can best serve our teachers and best serve our kids from within the framework of the system that we're given. What's different about Dr. Wallert, what Christopher is doing is he's trying to impact the system. And I, you know, I love it. And you know, he, I think, I think this is my, my favorite part. Like he's in the classroom. He's not sitting in, you know, it's fancy central office position. He's in the classroom every day, you know, the, you know, in the trenches with kids. So he knows, like he gets it. And from that position, he is impacting what we do politically, governmentally. And I love it. Here we go. Teaching a rockstar podcast, Dr. Christopher Wallert. Let's do this. Is the Teach Like a Rockstar podcast with Hal Bowman. All right, before we get this party started, here is a quick word from Boston Scally Company. I have found the absolute best caps on the internet at bostonscally.com. The Boston Scally Company is the online purveyor of caps with the most attitude. Some people refer to them as a flat cap or a Gatsby or an Ivy cap, but the cap everyone is really looking for is the traditional Boston Scally cap. Founded by the son of a lifelong educator, the Boston Scally Company designs and sells caps that capture the unique culture of the Boston people with an authentic style that is filled with blue-collar sarcasm, rugged integrity, and a truckload of attitude. Pick up the authentic Boston Scally cap at bostonscally.com. The Teach Like a Rockstar podcast with Hal Bowen. And hey, man, um, let me tell you. So here's anytime I see like an interest. So Houston was one of those places where, like, I mean, like outside the oil industry, none of us have a really good reason why we live here, but there's millions of us. And because there's like heat, mosquitoes, and hurricanes, and all that stuff. So anytime I see like a beautiful name of a city, I'll look it up. So I saw where you live. And which is a beautiful name for a city, and I, and I looked it up, and I saw like fields of dirt, man. Pretty much, yeah. No, it's it's funny. We have an air base here. It's Mountain Home Air Force Base here, uh-huh. and uh, uh, people who put in to get stationed at this base think that they're coming to a beautiful, nice landscape, nice beautiful mountains, and it's far as from the truth as possible. Yeah. Now, now originally <laughs> you're from Oregon, isn't it right? I am. I am. I'm from Portland, Oregon. All right. Here's the thing, man. We went to visit and, um, we went to Seattle and then we went down to Portland and, um, it was, this is last, maybe two years ago. It was absolutely gorgeous. And it was very funny because like everywhere we went, people were telling us, Hey man, it's really not this sunny like this. Like it's never like, this is the best two weeks we've ever had here. So I don't know if that was true or they just didn't want me moving there like the rest of the nation. No, it's true. It's 100% true. In fact, it's usually about 280 days out of the year in, in Portland, it's raining. We thought so. we thought we were in like utopia because everyone, like no one's working. Everyone's outside. People are running around with their dogs and playing Frisbee in the park. And like, man, this place is amazing. Then we found out this, this has happened like once in the last century. Yeah. So let me tell you a funny story on that. So when I was going to college um, in Portland, they uh, they ran their their snow schedule off of the Portland public school system, and so they were in Portland. They panic if there's ever a, a hint of snow, just a hint. Yeah. They panic, and so they actually closed school down the next day, and that means that the college was closed down and everything. It was seventy two degrees and sunny. It was amazing. Day off, baby. <laughs> day. Off. That's right. Yeah, here, man. We'll we'll close schools just because it's cold. 
And, um, and people freak out when it's like, cause if it drops like 15 or 20 or something crazy like that, well, the reason, like nobody has coats, like these, like in, like in elementary, like these kids don't have coats. We I mean, have them waiting on a bus when they're, you know, it's 12 degrees outside with no coat. So oftentimes I'll shut it down just for cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, the funny thing is here in, in Idaho, Mountain Home specifically, we won't shut it down unless cars can't move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're serious about education in Mountain Home, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man. So when, when you were in, um, I was wondering because you have, um, you, you, uh, I noticed that you got your teaching certificate with, uh, along with your master's degree. And so when, when you're in your, like doing your under, undergraduate degree, did you think you're going to be a teacher? No, absolutely not. In fact, you know, I, you probably saw what I, what I have. I have a, uh, a bachelor's in Bible and theology, um, with a minor in pastoral ministry. I was thinking I was going to actually be a youth pastor. Yeah. And crazily enough, um, and I had a huge, big fallout with where I was at and the internship that I was at. And, um, it was actually our first year of marriage, my wife and I's first year of marriage. And we were planning everything that we were doing was planning around that internship and then getting into pretty much a full-time career of youth pastoring. And apparently, uh, somebody upstairs had a better plan and a bigger plan because that didn't work out. And I went back for my master's degree and here I am teaching today. And, and I guess in one way or another, I'm doing what I was going to do in the first place, just in a different world. Yeah. I was about to say, man, you just have desks instead of pews. Like you're still like, yeah, pretty much. you're still doing the thing. You just can't call it that. <laughs> That's much. the only difference. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> sadly. Yeah, it's true. You have to change the vocabulary a little bit, but you're still pastoring for sure. That's it, why it's, it's no longer, it's no longer God. It's the guy upstairs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then when, when you were, um, when you were graduating and you and you have your certificate now or however you do it with your master's degree, what was like? What was the plan? Was it like jumping to elementary school or junior high? What were you thinking? Well, I was planning on getting my endorsement in middle school and high school, but I'm too stupid to do the high school math, so I couldn't get my endorsement in high school. Uh, so I actually got elementary and junior high, which I absolutely love and would not change it for anything. Um, and then after my graduation, I applied to over 75 schools around the nation. Um, and only one school called me back, and that was not even Mountain Home. It was New Meadows, Idaho. It was a town of 500 people. Yeah. And coming from Portland, Oregon with, you know, over a million in certain areas, it, especially if you look at the full picture of, of Portland, um, going into a town of 500 is like going from a Rolls Royce to a horse carriage. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it, man. So, yeah, when, 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 when that, my first gig out of college was a, what we call one A school, and you know this is this is a school where in Texas, you know they they graduate. I mean, well, let me tell you, like in, in the graduating class, the top ten percent and the valedictorian was the same person. That's how small the school is. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and I did that scene, man, where I taught, um, you know, it was K through 12. I was a band director at the time. I did elementary music and I did, you know, I did, you know, first grade PE. And then I was at the high school teaching band. And I mean, it was, cr and then plus all the other stuff that they don't tell you you're going to teach, but you're teaching it, all that right. stuff. But here's what I learned. I don't know if, if your experience was the same, but my experience was that, it was a crazy steep learning curve where like, if you go into a suburban school, there's a lot of people on your team. You got a team leader, there's mm -hmm. mentors, all that stuff. They're kind of nurturing you along, but in those tiny towns, you, you better figure it out fast. Yep. Absolutely. I hundred percent agree with you. In fact, uh, when I, when I got to New Meadows, I was the first teacher in over 27 years to do a combination class. And that was my first go at teaching. 
Um, and it was probably the worst year of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was hard. It was very hard. And I had to learn the hard way. It's incredible. It's shockingly difficult. Like this is one of those careers. I, I know people get, cause I say it like on every podcast, but you know, this is like the only profession on the planet where they have the same expectations of a first day teacher as they do of a 35 year veteran. Like you're, yep. you're, you're expected to produce the same results. And by the way, we're talking about little human beings, you know, that yep. sit before us every day. And it is like just a physically tiring, the exhaustion, but it's the emotional exhaustion, man. Absolutely. It is. I, I agree a hundred percent. And, um, and I think the level that we are expected to maintain throughout not only an entire career of teaching, but just moving into it, not knowing a full load of what it looks like your first year, second, even third year teaching. If you don't have support, you don't have those mentors behind you, then it, I can tell why there's teacher burnout. And I can also tell why teachers leave the profession. Yeah. You know, if you, if you don't have that support, it, there's, you're going to burn yourself gone. Yeah, I think you know what it man, I think it's um it's just a feeling of desperation like compl- you're in the you're sinking. You're in the ocean yeah. sinking and there's no there's you're looking for a vessel somewhere out there on the open seas to come throw you the light but there's nothing out there. Like if in a typical first year teacher um like we, we do the celebration, the whole back to school thing. We help them decorate the room. We tell them they look great on the first day. We get them fired up, go get them. And then, and then life happens and school happens. And I got my own problems, yep. man. And, um, and, and like we, like the, we forget about them. And as a result, yeah. they're in their classrooms struggling. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah, definitely. Agree. So when when you were first starting, did you have on your, on that campus was there an influential educator, or was there somebody back in college that you could call on, or maybe one of your teachers in high school that that kind of helped you out, and kept you going? No, <laughs> crazy enough, no. <laughs> um, I, so I again being in Portland, Oregon, and then moving over to Idaho in a small town of five hundred. Um, I'm the distance between where I was and where I am didn't allow for a lot of that communication with anybody that was solid for me. Um, I was the outcast in a small town. I was the one that they looked at and said, Oh, here comes a new kid from the big suburban area, you know? And, uh, up there it was a different mentality and I had to learn fast to either you, you walk the line Yeah. Or you, or you, you're not there, right. <laughs> and that's really what it was. And I didn't have anybody that um, to really fall back on, ask questions. Um, there was, there was one mentor teacher that was assigned to me, and I will, I will say this: her name was Cindy Feely. She was the most, probably the most influential woman in my life at that moment for teaching because she knew what I was going through. She understood the frustrations that I was going through, but she came right alongside and said, how can I help? What can I do? But she didn't even teach in that school district. She taught in a different school district about 10 miles outside. Really? No. And so she, how did you guys connect? Um, so the way that it is, so you have McCall, Idaho, which is kind of like a resort town-ish now. Um, and then New Meadows is about 10 miles just outside down the canyon, a little bit outside. And... So the the superintendent and the principal, who was the same person at the same of time, um, <laughs> um, they knew that I needed a mentor because in Idaho, it is a requirement code that new teachers actually have mentor teachers in, in the profession. Uh, and so they reached out to the McCall School District and Cindy kind of pretty much said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, she's a phenomenal lady. I actually still talk with her on Facebook and she's she's really cool. I actually uh, appreciate her a lot. Yeah. 
You know, I think you, my, my experience for my little town that I went to, it was so different. And I think it's because, um, I haven't really thought about this, but here's what I think. It was very accepting and very loving and very nurturing. And, um, I think it's because they have this, this group of teachers that have been teaching there for 30 and four. We had teachers over 40 years. Like they went to school there. They married their high school sweetheart. Both, they both teach there now. A lot of those. And I remember being there and, um, and, and one of those gentlemen, he was an older gentleman and he taught ag and he told me that, um, that they were going to take care of me because, um, they knew that I wasn't going to be there long and I was going to go somewhere else and they wanted me to do a good job where I was going to go next. And I said, what do you mean I'm leaving? He goes, everybody leaves here. If you're not from here and he, and he, and he also said, because you're not married. And so that means you're leaving. If you're not married, you're going to go find a, a lady and you're going to go marry her somewhere else. And it, it turned out to be true. And, um, but you know, it was, they were just, um, really accepting and, um, and, and just let me make mistakes and weren't mad at me. And <laughs> it wasn't a bad deal, man. It sounds like a great deal to be honest with yeah. you. I wish I, wish I had that. <laughs> right. And, and now, and how long did you teach there? One year. Uh, and that's pretty much all I wanted to teach. There, One to be honest. and done. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then you found this gig. Um, all right. I'm going to try to make a long story short as possible. So when I was up there, uh, yeah, exactly. The so when I was up there and <laughs> it was a really rough time. And it, during my spring break up there, I started applying for different schools again. Right. Yeah. Um, I actually came down to mountain home for an interview and for during spring break. And then I drove back up to new meadows. I uh, didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. Um, finally, right about near the end of that school year, they said, sorry, we filled the position. I'm like, all right, I understand. That's great. Um, I walked into the principal's office there and I said, even if you did ask me back, which I know you're not going to, I don't want to come back. Um, so I appreciate the time that you let me be here. Uh, it was at that moment that my wife and I became homeless. Yeah. We became, we became, um, jobless and she was pregnant with our first child. And so this is not the plan. No, not at all. <laughs> Excuse me. So for an entire year, we, uh, our summer, I should say, uh, we, we kind of slept on, on couches and we went to my parents' house in Portland for about two, three weeks. Whole time I'm trying to apply for different schools and try to find another job. After that, we drove down to her family's house down to California and we stayed there for three weeks. And I actually got a phone call from two places in Idaho and one place in North Carolina. And I had phone interviews for them all. Yeah. And I was offered two positions. I was offered a position in um, Twin Falls, which is just a little couple hop, skip, and jump from here, and another place in Burley, Idaho. Um, I didn't feel qualified because being my second year teaching, I didn't feel qualified for Twin Falls, so I said no to that. We drove back to Idaho and for the first time drove over to Burley. And I went, this is another New Meadows. This is exactly what I feel. This is another New Meadows. Went to the school. People were awesome. Really appreciated them. Um, they were kind, very uh, accepting of us. And then it, this was about three weeks before school started. Uh, my wife and I had to find a house to live in. Yeah. And so we are in Burley finding a house to live in. And the only house that was available was a house where someone died and they're renovating. <laughs> <laughs> so we, again, we're, we, we drive back to Nampa, uh, which is just north of here, too. That's where my sister's living. And we, we stayed with them for a while. Um, and just both of us are like, this 
this just sucks. This really sucks. I mean, yeah, this is a job and it's a place where we need to go and we got to kind of move with where we're at. We're like, this is not what we were hoping for. Uh, a week before school started, I got a phone call from a mountain home school district and they said, we got a job for you. Uh, it's in second grade. And I said, no, <laughs> I know my limits and that's too low for me. I just, I, I know my limits and they're all like, but I'll be honest with you. I really want to be in mountain home. Yeah. I do. I just, that's where I want to be. And so uh, they hung up the phone and said, um, well, before they hung up the phone, they were all like, let me talk to somebody. We'll give you a call back. They, they called me back about 10 minutes later and they said, you have a fifth grade job if you want it. I said, book it. I'm there. I'll see you in about 40 minutes to come sign the papers. And, um, I've been here ever since and I love it and I would never, I wouldn't change anything. I love this place. Yeah. For you, man. And, and by the way, before I move on at this point in your life, you should have called me cause you could have walked into just about every, any text, any Texas school district with a tie on and been teaching that day, walking with your resume <laughs> at eight, we'd had you teaching by 10. And uh, awesome. <laughs> there's just so many uh, job openings, man. But um, hey, listen. So what? I know this is hard to put, and you're not. It's not you know, um, hurt anybody's feelings or anything. It's just schools are very different. But in terms of culture, what was the difference between where you are now and those other places that you visited, and other schools that you've seen? Um, that's a great question. Um, so the first school up in New Meadows, the culture was very. Everybody knew each other and you were that close and everybody was that close unless you were the outsider. And the moment you were the outsider, you weren't accepted into that circle of people unless you've been there for years and years and years. Yeah. So the culture was really hard to kind of like shift into. Um, what I love about Mountain Home is that we have such a diverse people here because we have an Air Force base. We have Singaporeans that come in from Singapore and that's stationed here. Um, we have a lot of um, Hispanic youth that are here. We're very diverse. And it's it's really cool because you have to learn to work in diversity in in this school. Um, and, and there is no – you can't have clicks. There's no clicks. And if there is a click, you're, you're quickly called out on it. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. We have to be here as one, as a unit, to work with these amazing students that we have um, in, in a culture that's accepting and loving and caring because of how much diversity there is. That's the only way it could possibly work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, man. You know, oftentimes I th- it feels like a campus has be sometimes be put in really extreme situations to um, – Find that culture that is the best for everyone, kids, parents, teachers, community, you know, whether we've seen it here on the Gulf Coast and Texas with hurricanes, you know, just demolishing schools and um, uh, tornadoes in Oklahoma and poverty in Kentucky and all the schools I visit. Oftentimes, man, those those extreme circumstances lead leads to the most loving, compassionate, accepting uh, a sense of culture that, that you'll find anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that also brings that, that sense of family. Yeah. Man, is, is, yeah. is that something that you're able, you feel like you're able to create in your classroom because you have kids from all over the planet and, and, and they all end up in Idaho of, of all the, like it's somehow <laughs> places. the odds of them spinning the globe and just putting a finger on a dot hitting Idaho. And that's where they all ended up. And, and when they come into the classroom, man, I'm just wondering because they're from everywhere. They're all different backgrounds and nationalities and beliefs. And, and, um, how do you, how do you bring them together? 
Um, you really teach community. You have to teach community and really show. And, and I tell my students this. I spend more time with you throughout the school year than I do with my own kids because I'm here a lot. I'm here with them. I'm with them throughout the entire day. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time. So I look at them and say, you're my kids. You're my family. I don't care where you come from. I don't care. I don't care where you, uh, you know, what, what the color of your skin is. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care none of that. I care that you're in my classroom and that you're my kids. And I will love you until I see you graduate, until I see you being a successful, awesome person in life. And I will never leave your side because the moment you walk in my room, you are my family for life. And when I think kids see my, I hope to see my, 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 um, my genuineness and what I'm saying to them, I really hope that they they feel that connection. And I'll treat them like I treat my own kids. You know, I have I have a six year old, soon to be seven year old at home, um, and she's amazing. She's she's my savant. I call her my savant. Um, and she she challenges me every day. And I've learned that as my kids are growing up, I start to see my own kids show up in my classroom through other kids. And I go like, Oh my gosh, you're just like my daughter. Yeah. It's like, holy cow, you're just like my son. I mean, and, um, and, and it, and it makes again, it's that family feel. But if those kids don't find a sense of community inside of that classroom, then they're going to be alone. They're going to be separated and they're going to feel like, why am I here? Yeah. You've got to give them a reason to be there. And I think community is how you do that. Man, it's everything. You know, one of the interesting things that occurs with me around the nation, I'm doing my speaking thing and I'm at schools and doing my conferences and hotels and all that. And, um, I mean, it never felt at some point in the break, some teacher is going to come up and say, can I ask you a question? I say, yeah, I should say, well, I've got this one kid and he done and, and, and she wants a solution. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, first of all, this would never happen in my classroom ever. Like that we would never, because right. like, I think that, that, that has gone through so many steps that we would have cut off in our, in our family before it ever even got to the, what you're describing. And the difference is, you know, with, with that, you know, a typical classroom, that traditional classroom model from the seventies, that rules based classroom, you know, yeah. be on time, don't talk, sit down, do your work, don't make mistakes, that whole thing. You know, like those, the, the kids are going to break rules because there's, that's what kids do. They're, they're supposed to break rules. That, that's like, that, that's the, that's a, the right of a child, man. It's fun to break rules. But when you're in that family, like you describe, and they have this, this sense of common values, now, breaking a value to break a commonly held value among among a group of people—that's painful, and that's why kids don't do it. But to break a rule, easy, man, no problem. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, and I think um, you, you, you have those kids. Not all kids are perfect, and I, and not all kids are going to be great, awesome students in your classroom. In fact, I I have my struggling students that um, just the other day I went rounds with a kid, but. I never send my kid out of the classroom. I never send my kid to a principal's office because they deal with me. Yeah. And I am the person they deal with because I'm investing into that kid. I'm investing into that amazing student. When, and I know that what he's coming in with has nothing to do with me. What he's coming in with has everything to do with his background, with his family life, his home life, um, what just the baggage that he holds and he carries. My job as a teacher is to look at that student and say, I'm going to love you no matter what. I know that you're going to take your frustrations and your hate out on me because of something that's happened to you somewhere else. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I love you and I see your potential and I see how awesome you are. Um, in fact, this, this student of mine and I, when we went around, I looked right at him like, you're going to be an amazing lawyer someday. 
because you are an awesome argument. Yeah. You can argue to nobody's end. And he looks at me and goes like, I don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> that, you know, I said, I said, that. man, that's just incredible. You know, the fact like those kids that argue relentlessly, you know, in my class, that's, I'm good with that because I'm going to love them relentlessly. And, and, you know, j- just an example that, that you talk about of treating your, your, the kids in the classroom just like your ones at home. It re- I'm not sending you to the office just like when at my house, I'm not sending my, when my daughter misbehaved, I'm not sending her next door to Mr. Harrison. Go next door. Mr. Harrison's going to handle this. Like, I would never do that. Just like we don't do that in our classroom, man. It's like, I'm not sending them out. You know, you're not going anywhere. No, I'm not running you up. Go sit down so I can change your life. Here we go. And I want Absolutely. them to feel that. And, and I think once, like, and that's why I tell teachers when those kids are acting out, like, I really want them to reprogram this in such a way that, um, that's a good sign. Because, like, that's a, that's a big first step. When kids are acting out, man, that is the first step of, uh, of them, t- you know, testing you to see if you really are going to love them relentlessly. And I'm up for that test. I'm ready for it. Let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And um, and when you see those kids actually push those those limits and you push those lines, um, I also see them. There's a, there's a part of me that just sees them crying out because they're hurting. Yeah. And because because students that don't act out are students that kind of have it together, but the students that are acting out are the ones that are hurting on the inside, but they don't know why, and they haven't figured out how to manage what that 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 feeling on the inside. And so that's that's our job. Yeah, our job is to teach math, reading, and writing. That's great. But I think in in the 21st century of teaching, our job is even beyond that. It's it's helping students be able to connect with who they are, understand how they're feeling, work through those emotions, and help them become just awesome all stars in, in in life. Yeah. And that's that's where we're at. Man, I, I, we were talking about this the other day with uh, with a group of principals, and I was telling them, man, you know, this there's never been a time in human history where you could really figure out a way today to make a living at whatever you're passionate about. Like it doesn't even matter. Like, yeah, like the, I have two kids in my neighborhood. Like one kid's a YouTuber, one kid is uh, plays games online. Like people pay to watch him play games. He just plays games, and people watch pay a dollar to watch him. It makes tens of thousands of dollars a day from people around the world watching them play games. Like, like this really is a time where it's so, yeah, I want to put some knowledge into the kid's noggin for sure. I want him to have some skills, definitely. But even more than that, I want this kid just to be an extraordinary person of exceptional character that can go and figure out how to make, how to make a living, making a difference in the lives of other people by following their passion. Absolutely. I think it's one of the things that, that, Right now, I'm, strugg- I'm struggling with in our current public education system is the lack of the pursuant of passions. Yeah, I mean, you're you're 100 right. Is we have kids that are able to do almost anything in this in this world because of their passions, and it's open door, it's open season on anything. Yeah, but you know, I, I um when when I have a kid who wants to be a YouTuber, um, and that's what he's focused on because that's all he watches and that's what he wants to do, and it's my job to go, let's get you there. Yeah. And I think in the classroom, we should say, all right, well, you still need to know the reading, the writing, and the math of it, but let's put it in a passionate way of knowing that you understand. So where does math fall into YouTubing? You need to read and write script. So let's make it accountable to what you're wanting to do is your passion. I think that's where our education system needs to start pushing 
is is finding those those passions of those kids and, and directing them that direction. No. Yeah, you know, even I remember, um, man, this. Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. This is this is probably 12, 15 years ago. I was teaching a class, and all these kids were seniors in high school. And this kid, um, we had a show and tell, and people always made fun of me. But let me tell you something, brother. You want to get some seniors in high school involved and engaged? Do show and tell. They love it. And he brought a guitar, and he's like, "Well, I've been learning how to play guitar." I've been trying to learn how to sing and play guitar. And he goes, so I'm going to do it. I'm like, oh, I'm just like, ugh, this isn't going to go well. And it was so good. Like, it was mind-blowingly good. And we ended up taking the kid into the stairwell and inviting other classes because of the acoustics in the stairwell, you know. And within a couple of weeks, I had him in my car, and I took him to Austin. My friend has a studio there, so he could record a couple songs, and he sold CDs to school. It was a big deal. Like, even then, I mean, that was a big deal. Like, you had to get a kid in a car to take him to a student. But now, like, that same kid, you could make that happen that afternoon with somebody's digital recorder right there in the classroom. Like, there's opportunities everywhere. And for a kid that says, I want to be a YouTuber, great. Let's get started. Let's make a documentary starting today about how to become a YouTuber. You're the star. Like, let's do this, yeah. you know? And we're, we're going to document this whole thing on how you got to be a YouTuber starting today. Absolutely. And I think, I think just encouraging them, their passions and being able to open the door for them, you know, and the classroom's an awesome opportunity to do that. It's, you have so many things at your fingertips that you can say, all right, like I know the Idaho's a little behind times when it comes to computers, yeah. uh, but we have, you know, we have computers and we have, we actually one-to-one here and each one of our kids has Chromebooks and yeah. they can do everything on that. And why not open the door for them to see the potential right at their fingertips. And instead of education being something I have to go to, it becomes something, oh, I can't wait to to record another episode. Yeah. You know? And that's that's where they're at. And here's here's the here's the crazy part about this. This is the part that really bothers me. Man, you get me I'm starting to sweat and getting fired up now. So here's man, here's what bothers me is um because of what we have is standardized testing, and that is kind of the benchmark, how we're going to measure this thing. And so here's what we're doing. And now this has crept into my own home where we have these kids. And let's say, you know, Sheila goes to school and Sheila um, just is amazing at math and science. And she just performs way up here, man. And she's awesome. She's at the very top of the class. And, well, you know what, man? When it comes to math and science, we're not worried about her because she's going to kill it. She's going to crush that test. She's going to ace it. So we, so we don't, we, we don't, we don't pay attention to her. She loves that stuff and we're not paying attention because all the resources are going to this kid down at the bottom who is barely scraping by in math. So we're going to work this kid for hours and hours and hours a day to get him up just to be passing, just to be barely acceptable at it. And so here's what, here's what we've learned now is Sheila at the top, she's falling down because we're not paying attention to her. Instead of, you know, pushing her for more, she's falling down because she's not getting any resources and, and no help. And this kid at the bottom came up just to barely pass. And what we're ending up is this whole generation of kids in the middle, like this mediocre, a group, a group of kids where no one, you know, and, and, and now what have they learned? Like when you have a passion, yeah. you know, I guess don't follow it. Don't get extra support. And when you struggle at something, work really hard at something you hate doing just to bear, just to be mediocre, man, it's ridiculous. A hundred percent agree with you on that. That's one of my pet peeves is standardized testing. And every single time I'm sure you were in the classroom when, when standardized testing was this thing and it still is. And yeah, you know, every year I get on my blog and I just, I, I just smash it. And I'm like, I'm tired of standardized testing. We tell these kids to be individuals. We tell these kids to be individualistic in their thinking and to be special and be all that. But then we standardize them. Yeah. It's like everybody has to be at this level. Why? Why does everybody have to be at this level? Yeah. 
You know, you're going to have, you're going to have your math geniuses and gurus and they're going to go do amazing math genius things. As they should. And you're going to have, yeah. exactly. They're going to do know? it anyway. But <laughs> and you also have your readers and you got your readers and writers that they're going to be journalists. They're going to be authors and they can't do math. Their life depended on it. And that's okay. Yeah. It's not, a, you know, they're not going to go into a field that they know they're going to struggle in. And if they do, it's because they want the challenge. Give them the challenge, but don't expect them at this level when they struggle with it already. You kill joy yeah. doing that. Man, I think the, um, you know, I think it's shocking. And I, I tell people this all the time, but they just don't know that some, just people walking around in normal careers, not just education stuff, but they would be shocked if they saw what was required of kids in the sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth, tenth grade in math. They would be, they would, there's no way. If you haven't been in math class in the last five years, you couldn't pass it. There's no way you could pass it. It wouldn't even look like math to you. Yep, that's absolutely true. In fact, it's funny because I remember a sixth grade student came to me, and I was looking over the homework with them. Uh, I was trying to help them out as best as I could, and um, and they were doing proofs. Yeah. And I'm like, I did that in my sophomore year of high school. Right. You're doing this in your sixth grade? Like, come on. I hated proofs. Still hate proofs. I think it's... It's pointless in my opinion, yeah. but anyway, you know, but they're doing it at a younger and younger, younger age. Granted, maybe they're growing in, in concepts of math that I'm unaware of, but why, exactly. you know, why, why? Yeah. I don't know, dude. I, um, here, but here's the, here's the ridiculous part in me in the class. I, I hate all that stuff, but here's where I get caught up. I'm competitive. And if we're taking that test, <laughs> you know what I mean? And if it's me and I've got a hallway full of the same teachers in the same department and we're all taking that test, mm-hmm. I'm going to win. There's no way. There is no way my kids aren't going to kill that thing. I just, so I, as much as I hate it, I just, I love the competition of it. And it's such a, um, and I get embarrassed about it because I hate that I do that, but I don't know. I'll be doing it a fun way. We get fired up, man. We have pepper eyes in our own little classroom. You know, we're, we're, we high five and we get psyched for this thing. But, um, but you know, but maybe, maybe that's a better way to handle it. Just getting fired up as a competition rather than representation of who we are or whatever that is. Yeah. No, I, I, you make a very good point. Um, you know, when you get kids involved and you get kids psyched up about something, they're going to buy in. Yeah. Because when they see the excitement in you, they're going to get excited in themselves like, Oh, we got this. You know, and when you give them those incentives, they're all like, yep, it's ours. It's ours to take. It's ours to win. Yeah. And, um, and you're right. I think when I look down the hallways where I'm, where I'm working, it's, it's, yeah, my kids have got this and, and it's, we, we got it to, the, we got it in the bag, you know. But I think what's disappointing is when you have that high expectation, those kids are all like, I didn't make it. Yeah. Hey, Wallard, I, I didn't do well. I, I didn't make it. And it's, you see in their face, it's like, man, I got hyped up and, and I just didn't do well. You know, and you get to turn around and be like, it's okay because the test really means nothing to you. Yeah. We're just fired up as a team. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. It's, um, man, here's the thing. And then, you know, that, that's the sad part about this thing is, um, I know this is a real struggle in some of the smaller schools where these kids will do really well academically on their own in their classes and then, they just get crushed on the test and, and it's, man, that's hard to explain. I mean, how can a kid get A's and B's the whole way through and not be able to, you know, pass this thing? Right. And, and I also think you, you look at kids who have test anxiety and it's a real thing, real thing you know, brother. test anxiety. 
you know, and so why are we, why are we pushing this expectation on these kids that, you know, don't test well, but I guarantee you, those are the kids that can build you the awesome, greatest looking model you've ever seen. Yeah. And they can tell you every piece of that model and how it works, but yet they have to sit down and take a two hour test. Yep. That's a kid yeah. would, would love to get up and do a presentation. I'll do it right now. You know, yep. I'll go first. Yep. And they'd kill it. Crush they'd kill it. it too. Yeah, <laughs> man. And you know what? Here's the other thing as teachers. Um, and this has become a real problem in the last few years. When you, when, when you bring up the point of standardizing our kids with this test, I mean, here we are for how many years now when in the professional developments that we go to and all those events, when there's people talking about, um, you know, how to differentiate our instructor for different learning styles. It's like, what's the point? Why? We're right. all going to give them the same test anyway. Yeah, no, it's a frustration like no other. And I honestly, I, ha- I don't know a way around it. I mean, the only way you can go around it is by completely changing how you, I guess, you collect data. I was talking with someone the other day, and I said, you just need to get rid of the standardized test. Just get rid of it. Um, in fact, uh, I believe it was Singapore. The last one, Singapore was the last one to get rid of standardized tests. As yeah. it, They just got rid of it. They use them. But they say, okay, this is where the kid's at, but it's not like, it's not a big deal. And the reason they got rid of it is because they wanted to remove competition from education. Yep. It's like, education shouldn't be a competition in the first place, but we make it a competition. Yeah. And it should be, let's meet you where you're at. Yep. Man, here in Texas, we've been, I know there's a school, um, the, my alma mater, that school district, the last thing I saw, they got rid of D's. So it's A, B, C, and F, and they get rid of D's. And my kids' school they go to now, they're no longer doing class rank, and um, they're not publishing class class rank. I mean, I'm sure there still is, but no one knows who's where. But um, to reduce, and but yet in Texas we have this whole, you know, well these snowflake kids need to toughen up and just learn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like what's the point man like you know i just don't understand like what is it who cares where the kid is especially in a, like if my kid goes to a crazy competitive school where at one point a few years ago they had to shut down the transfer because the kids would transfer out of that high school to another high school and go from the third quarter into the top 10 percent in the last two weeks of school they transferred again you know what i mean and so uh, playing the system yeah, they right. just know how to do so it so they, they shut that thing down but um but man it just doesn't matter you know i don't i don't know yeah no i'm with you and you know a lot of people might disagree with me when i say that education shouldn't be you know shouldn't shouldn't be competitive but we have our competitive parts school has sports yeah you know texas is a football nation you know, you Texas loves their football. It's a religion, Idaho, brother. It, it is. Yep. It is Sunday night football, man. That's just pretty much what it is. You know, yeah. Thursday night lights, absolutely. Up here, it's you know we have our football, but it's not. It's not anything big. Yeah. You know, we have our Broncos. Woo, go Broncos! You know, and it's pretty much all we got. Right. We don't have any baseball. We don't have any soccer. We don't have any hockey. Well, we have the Steelheads for hockey, but again, it's not like the very big push. Education shouldn't be one of those things that's a sport. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Otherwise, you can have a lot of bench warmers, if you know what I mean. Well, here's the thing, man. I think um, there's there's opportunities for that, man. If you want a kid, you've, if you want your kid to go to that school, well, that's cool. We got schools for those kids if you really want your kids to compete. Awesome. They're, yeah. they're over there at that school. But I really think we should give most the vast majority of kids. And by the way, school doesn't work for the vast majority of kids. 
You know, I think that's one thing we, we never realized, you know, I mean, and, you know, I always tell people like we talk about our dropout rate. The only person really talking about it is Bill Gates. And it's right around 45, 50 percent of kids, because if you count up how many kids are in kindergarten and then look at how many graduating seniors we have, it's about 50 percent. Now, they're not moving like they're, they, they're not all homeschooling. Some of them are. But we're losing 50% of kids from the time they start school to the time they cross the stage with a diploma. So when we talk about the top 10%, that's not really the top 10%. Like, that's the top 5%. We've lost half the kids. And when we talk about the top quarter, it's not really, man. That's like the top 12.5%. We've lost the rest of the kids. So if you think about whose school, let's say this, let's say we can make an argument that the school works, like school, traditional school model works for the top 20% of kids. That's not true. Those are the top 10% of kids. We've lost the other half of the kids. So 90% of school, 90% of kids, school, the traditional model of school doesn't really work for them. Agreed. And I also think the traditional model is taking away the things that kids need the most. And we're even doing it more. Yeah. You know, let's sit them down longer. Let's have them read this book more. Oh. Let's, you know, I'm pretty sure research says that kids that are, you know, elementary sh- should be playing Go outside, get fresh air, go run, go go hang out and play. Yep. But yet, like, I teach a fifth grade classroom and we have 15 minutes of recess. Out of an entire day, 15 minutes of recess. Yeah. And it's like, you're just, you're, you're shoving, you're shoving academics down these kids' throat and they hate it. Yeah. It's like, I have to sit longer. Now I have to sit here more, but that's not what my body, and then so what do we do? Oh, well, little Johnny has ADD. Johnny can't sit still in his chair. Johnny, Johnny has to keep moving up and going every place. And it's like, that's Johnny being Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's because he's a kid, you know. Yeah. And instead of giving him an environment where he's going to be successful, all of a sudden we start making excuses for why he's not. Man, there's you know, well, it depends what you believe, but there, in the way I believe, there's uh, millions of years in Johnny's DNA wound up in the double helix of his genetic code <laughs> that wants him to run and play. And push and shove and jump and splash, you know, and throw stuff. That's part That's part of being a, a kid and especially a young boy cooped up. And then you coop him up in a cage all day. Make him, to, oh, make yeah. him stare at the back of some kid's head sitting in front of him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad plan, man. <laughs> oh, that's chaos waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mentioned earlier how, you know, I see my own kids coming into my classroom, even though my son, he's four years old. And this, my son has the most energy I have ever seen in my life. Like he can six o'clock in the morning, he's bang, he's up, he's moving around, he's running, he's crazy, he's jumping off the couch, he's outside, he's jumping on the trampoline all day long. Time for naps. He won't nap. Nah. He won't even sleep. Nope. He'll go in there. He'll he'll do his quiet time. You know, he'll he'll maybe cut out some cool stuff, do some art, do some creative things. The moment quiet time's over, he's out jumping on the couch. I mean, this kid goes and just to look at him you would think he's adhd he's ADHD. no he's a he's a kid he's a he's a little boy who loves energy and has a ton of it and we need to provide those environments for them to be able to to just release those energy you know but it doesn't go away it doesn't go away i mean you have a lot of a lot of issues in junior high schools because you're starting to get into that all right we're passing time and now you have classes and you have five minutes to get to the next class but Five minutes is not enough time for kids to be able to just be them. Yeah. You know, they're still kids. So, yeah, I've got one of those boys too, man. And, um, 
And here's the good news he, and for you as a parent. Just he's like the most amazing uh, kid because you know from day one he has been just squeezing every second out of life. You know what I mean? So like when I, my boy gets, I can hear him upstairs, boom, because he jumps and hits the floor, bam, and down the stairs, boom, 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 stomping down the stairs, and it is on until that night. We're going to find him passed out. So he won't even say. He'll just sit down and pass out face down on the floor under the table. I found him. He's over here. you know. And then we put him into bed, and it starts over the next day. That's the good news for you. The bad news is um, we just today got his boot off because he broke his leg about <laughs> about eight weeks ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with those kind of kids, it's not a question of if they're going to break their leg. It's only a question of when and how bad is it going to be. <laughs> yeah that's that uh, trust me i see what he does see what my son does and i'm like oh yeah that's a medical bill coming <laughs> right yeah man for for those kids you know um that you're right you know i see i'm in junior highs all the time i think the average is five and a half six minutes of of passing time they call that and one, one of the junior highs i just worked with is we you know we just kind of all voted and teacher and we we took a couple minutes off of each class and lunch and they're just two minutes man and and we made and we added those in to what they used to call passing time and now they call it family time and that is when every person in the school comes out into the hallway every kid every parent not parent every every parent working there every teacher i mean uh, secretaries principal everybody they're in the, it's family time Every every moment between class, it's I think it's seven and a half minutes, and so we're you know we're in the hallways. There's a, there's a couple of teachers that put, that got a karaoke machine they brought from home and they do karaoke in the hallway. It's like seven and a half minutes. They have dancing. They have all kinds of fun stuff going on. Um, arm wrestling. Just I mean, seven and a half minutes is a long time. And um, and here's the thing, man. What I think people sometimes are fearful of is that we get the kids wound up, but when you teach them how to go from one extreme to the next. I can show you schools, man. There's one of my favorite schools the, they call the lunchroom. They call it cafe chaos intentionally. They want kids crazy in there. We're going to direct the crazy because they want to be chaotic. So we're going to have chaos. We're just going to direct the chaos, but they spend, they spend the first week of school teaching them how to go from one end of the extreme to the other end extreme. They go from within four minutes. They'll go from absolute chaos, jumping on the tables, going nuts in the cafeteria. And then within four minutes, they're all in class, sitting on the edge of the seat, leaning forward, engaged, ready to learn because we taught them how to do it. And that's the only thing they know. That's what, that's what's expected. Yeah, I think you you said a very key word is you teach it. You know, you can't expect a student to go from one extreme to another without them having some form of structure or a teaching time to say, and they're going to fail at it. They're going to fail at it. Yeah, you have to learn it, man. But oh, absolutely, and and that's when you get to have those awesome learning opportunities and be like, okay, wait a second. Let's go try it again. Yeah. Cause, cause you, you know, the expectations. Let's try it again. Let's keep working until we get there. And you're right. Kids can go from one extreme to the other when they've been taught, when they've been properly taught and not expected to do it. Yeah. So, and then, and then it just becomes part of the classroom value. And this is just what we do. And the thing is, man, once it's in place, then it's easy. Cause that's just what, that's what we do. That is the culture yeah. of the school. And when people come in, especially at an air force base and, and the, the small school I taught at, we had a children's home. So kids were coming in and they would find them a home for them and they would be out. And new kids would come in. It was, it was a faith based home. So churches would bring kids in and, and find homes for kids. And so, you know, it, we, I, you know, our, our population would probably turn over by 25% every year, just new kids coming in and coming out. But because, but they would just, they plug right in because they would look around. Okay. This is what we do. Here we go. They don't know. Yeah. They're kids. 
Yeah, absolutely. Kids are resilient, man. I love them. That's why they're so amazing. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely. So jealous. I mean, like, there's just so many, um, I mean, like, I, I can't, I remember, you know, just being a younger teacher and meeting some sixth grader and having a conversation with a sixth grader and thinking to myself, man, I got to get my life together. <laughs> you know, yeah, this kid. I've had those conversations. <laughs> yeah, this kid will show me in their book their goals they wrote down. I was like, man, I better write some goals down. You <laughs> bet. <laughs> well, here's my here's my receipt book for coffee. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go home and write some goals. I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, man. For you, like in terms of your. um you know, I think one of the things I'm good at, and I think you are too, is like we're given the parameters. And I got to tell you, like I'm not the guy that th- – I don't think a lot about the way things should be or the way things – I think the way – I think a lot about the way things could be based on what we have right now. Like the, mm-hmm. like that's kind of I think where I excel. Like this is this is the rules. Like this is the framework. Here's what we – this is what we're given. This is what we have to do. That being said, what's the best way we can use that framework in such a way that I can use the content of my classroom as the vehicle to make a difference in this kid's life? And yeah. and like for you, man, like is that is that where you are as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you, you said it right. We have parameters and we have the specifics that we need to do. We have the expectations that are set upon us as teachers and – but that doesn't change the fact that our kids are still amazing, are still individuals, and it is my job to give them just the excitement of what it means to learn, what it means to grow. Um, and I, for me, I focus a lot. Yes, academics is important, but I tell my kids this every single year. If you walk into my classroom and you struggle in multiplication and you walk out of my classroom still struggling with multiplication, I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is if you walk into my classroom and then you walk out never changed. Yeah. That's 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 where I have a hard time because it is my job to help you become a better version of yourself. And in my parameters that I have, I can teach that because I've been given six, six and a half hours in a day to be able to touch this kid's life and say, you're worth it, you're valuable, and you can do it. And it takes 185 days sometimes for them to finally click, but then they go to summer, they come back, but, but it's when they come back to your classroom after they've, they've gone out and they come back and they're like, how are you doing? They're like, Oh, I'm doing so great. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm so glad because you remember what they were when you, they walked in for the first time, but inside of those, that classroom, it's, it's not about a kid figuring out how to do math. It's about a kid figuring out how to do life. And that's that's the most important part. It really is. And I think um, we've always had those kinds of conversations with um, coaches, like football coach, because they know no one here is going to play in the NFL. There's no one from Mountain Home that's going to be you know starting quarterback for the Seahawks. This is not going to happen. You know, no one's going to the NFL. That's no one's getting a Division One scholarship. It ain't going to ever. And so like, what's the point? And I think coaches have always had a handle on what we're really doing here, man. We're creating young men of exceptional character that we're teaching them how to be fathers and we're teaching them how to be employers and employees. But when I tell me like that, that doesn't have to happen just on the football field or on the wrestling mat or on the soccer field. I mean, it can happen right there in your language arts classroom in the third grade. Absolutely. 
you know, and it's giving those those think times. I, I call them think times. It's where you 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 you, you pose them a question, and it's a question of of ethics and morals, and then you have them debate it. You have them say, "What's the best thing to do here?" And then ask why. Why would you do that? Um, just from that alone, not only did you hit all of the standards, but you've also opened their eyes to this is the real world, and I'm becoming a better person by creating a a, a heart and a mind of ethics and morality to treat people awesome, and it doesn't matter who they are. You know, and I know, so Ellen DeGeneres just came out with her awesome, I don't know if you saw it or not, but Ellen DeGeneres just came out with her um, awesome thing where she was ridiculed for sitting next to uh, George Bush yeah. in the Cowboys game. Yeah. Right? And she she comes out on her show and she's all like, you know, when I say treat people kind, it doesn't mean treat people kind that you like. Yeah. You know, and she, it's it's everybody. And I think I think that's the cool part about, you know, being a teacher is you you do that. You do that. You're forced to do that because, yeah, you're going to have some really frustrating kids in your classroom, but you still treat them with respect. You treat them with honor. You treat them with love. You treat them with everything. It doesn't matter how difficult they be, you know, because they're amazing and awesome people. And when when I leave the classroom and I go to <laughs> and I go to the big box store that we have in Walmart or in Mountain Home called Walmart, you know, I I get to go there and, and say, you know what, I live in a small town. That guy's awesome. Yeah. That guy's awesome. You know, and, and I live, I live it. And when students see that, I think that's so huge. It's important that they see their teacher living what they're preaching and what they're teaching inside the classroom. Man, here it is. This is a generation of kid. I think I really do believe it was different when I was growing up. I really think that we had in the seventies and eighties, we had these abstract concepts of role models and heroes. And I think it made sense back then. But this is a generation, man. They really do have to see it if they're going to be it. I got to show it if I'm going to grow it in that kid. In my mind, for those kids, I've, I've accepted the, the honor or privilege of standing before every day. I, I, I know this isn't true, but I don't care. Like I set it up in my head like this. I'm it. I'm the only one they have. You know, like, because I always say, man, if you start, if you think that, well, this kid has great parents and that kid is an awesome youth minister and this kid has a great t-ball coach, or, man, you don't know what's really happening in that house, first of all, and you'll never know. And so I set it up in my mind, man, I'm when I'm there, man, like I'm all they have. It is me, 100% me, nobody else. That way I don't miss a kid. In addition to that, I know that if a kid is going to be what I'm asking them to be, they have to see that. And I got to show it if I'm going to grow it because we can't just talk about it. They have to really see what it looks like in action. Yeah. And I think that also goes for, you know, when we tell the kids, you know, hard work, perseverance, grit, and we teach all these things, are they seeing it from us? Yeah. Or do they see, they hear us, are they hearing us complain? Are they hearing us making excuses? You know, or if we're going to teach them, hey, look, if you want something in life, you got to push hard for it. In fact, my kids this year, we have a little chant. And I started off by saying, if you want to be the most successful, and then they'll chant to me, you have to be the hardest worker in the room. And that's true. And it's in, and they know that my expectations are, you push yourself. You work hard, even when it's difficult. I'm right there next to you the entire time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you struggle because that's what learning is all about. Is I'm gonna let you struggle, but you need to know that you got to push hard. But if they don't see that in me, if they don't see that the fact that I come in, if I'm not prepared in the morning, or if I'm, I, I allow the outside stuff that's going on in my personal life to all of a sudden impact my classroom, then they're gonna be all like, "Well, if he lets it do it, why, why do I have to do it?" You know, so we, we become those vessels. 
Yep. I believe it's even more than that, brother. I think it's another step. I think it's a next level where if they see you do it, they, they, they don't think, man, if he, if, if he can do it, I guess I, I think they, I really believe they think, well, if he can do it, then that's what I'm supposed to do too. Oh, good point. Yeah. Like I, I really think that they think that because like if we're leading them in every area, that's a hundred percent, man. There's no exceptions. Well, in this one area, like whatever we're doing, that's what we expect them to become. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to, and if you had to set those standards too, and it's standards that have to be, have to be personal because if you come into that classroom and you set standards for them, and I think this happens a lot in schools and um, I've seen it happen in my own school here is as teachers and teachers are the worst at this. What do they say? When a teacher's teaching, what should the students be doing? Yep. Right? They should be listening and paying attention. Yep. You go to any professional development yeah. and there's a person up there teaching. What do most teachers do? Right. <laughs> they got sidebar conversations going on. They're sitting there. They're, it's, so, so when we say, all right, guys, this is what I expect in my classroom, why aren't we expecting it of us? Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's huge. Yep. You know, and I, I mean, think too, it, it becomes, again, And by the way, you clearly haven't been to my show because ain't nobody (laughs) focused on anything but one thing. I'm going to let you guess what it is. It's me. All right. So, um, yeah, man. So here's – but this is so true. I'm glad you brought this up. And there's only a few schools that I've ever seen this. I've seen – I don't know how many faculty meetings I've seen. And I've seen a number of them where there is the, the school leader, whether that's a principal or an instructional coach or someone standing before, you know, 150 teachers in a giant school. And they're um, telling them that they want more engagement in the classroom. And I want to see kids moving. I want to kids see. And I'm thinking to myself, are you insane? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, because adults are just like kids. They have to see it if they're going to be it. Like, you got to show it so you can grow it in the, in the teacher. And in addition to that, 99% of teachers did not learn that way. They don't even know what that means. To have an engagement process of a lesson. Like, what do you mean by hands on? Like, what, what does that even look like? Like, they have to, they have to see examples and be coached in, in this process. Yeah. That's actually one. So, um, one of the cool things I did in, in Mountain Home is uh, me and a colleague of mine pushed for project-based learning. And we did a lot of the research. We did a lot of the, the, the footwork for it. And then we sat in front of the board of um, the school board and we said, this is what we want to do. Here's the research that shows the student engagement goes up when we do it. And I, I think that we have an awesome opportunity to, instead of having education be something they, they have to do, something they want to come back and do, something they want to do all the time. Our first year, we had so many amazing positive things happen with kids that we had parents calling us, what are you doing? My kid wants to come to school all of a sudden, but it was because we no longer were the ones that were in front of the room. We were no longer the ones that had to do all the wah, wah, wah. It was the kids that were engaged in figuring out real world life problems hands on. They were engaged. You know, it's awesome. It's so cool to watch them do it too. Man, I love that. You know, we were, I had a podcast uh, with uh, Jennifer Science from On Ramps here in Texas, and um, and you know, we, it was like you know, we talked just briefly. I wish we talked more about it now, looking back on it. But we just talked briefly, making that distinction between like, what are you doing? Are you are you teaching or are you talking? Because those are two very different things. Because a lot of times when you pass by a classroom, they're just they're talking. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're teaching. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And I think that's where reflection comes in. You know, if I think a real, a, a good teacher is one that at the end of the day doesn't go, Oh, thank God it's done. I can go home goes, what went well? 
what was difficult and what can I do better next time? Yeah. Because I know that these, these four table groups over here were not in it. So what am I going to do next time to help them get in it so that they don't miss out on what we were doing? Yeah. You know? Man, I just don't think we have enough, um, just enough focus on it. I almost said we don't have enough time, but I really do. If we made it a priority and really made it a focus, we definitely would have time. And that is, uh, just having those simple conversations. I always say it's most effective. It's easier to be self-aware and honest in a group of other people and just coming together at the end of the day, three or four teachers in, in the hallway just for two or three minutes. And, and, and reflecting on the day and talking about successes, talking about challenges. What can I improve on? What was I great at? What, tell me something that you could share with other people. And the whole thing might take three, four, five minutes, but man, it's just so powerful. Yeah. It is. And you can glean from the other teachers too and be like, you know what? How did that work out for you? And, and could you tell me a little secret of how I can implement that in my classroom? Yeah. And so now you're, you're crossing those boundaries of islands. And instead of teachers being little islands in the cl- in a school, which, which sadly it happens a lot. Yeah. You all of a sudden get this engagement between teachers and saying, we're here for each other. We got to build each other up. We got to be the ones that, that say, Hey, you know what? You got this. You're going to be amazing. And if it doesn't work, come back. We'll talk about something else to see if we can get something else, you know? Yeah. And it, but, yeah, I was going to say, man, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a 180 degree difference than what traditionally happens. Because what traditionally happens at the end of school is people come to the hallway is you are not going to believe what Trevor did in my class. And you think that was bad. Let me tell you what happened in my class. And it just gets into this downward spiral, man. That, that is kind of the traditional approach to, um, you know, processing and sharing at the end of the day. And I get it. Like it's really, really hard. And I know sometimes those kinds of conversations, you know, I, I get it. Like, I'm, I, I'm not saying I don't participate. I have, and I still would occasionally. Did you just have to get it out, man? It's hard. You got to tell somebody yeah. and your, my, your spouse doesn't understand unless they teach. So the, the lady next door will, she'll tell her. And, but for the, like the other 90% of the time, it really is having positive, productive, self-aware conversations that lead to better instruction and also emotional support. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. hundred percent. And, when, when you're intentional in those conversations and I think, I think you're right. Those, those negative things have to be expressed. Otherwise we, we keep it on the inside and it eats us away. We have to be able to express those. And I think we should have those close group of people that we trust and know that, okay, together we're making a pack. We're making a bond. We can come to each other and, and complain about whatever it is that happened. But the truth is we're there the moment we're done complaining to start being that positive light in, in each other's lives and say, yeah, it was tough and it was hard, but tomorrow you're going to rock it. You're going to see little Johnny come in and you're going to say, love your face. Love to see you here. I'm glad you're in my class. And it's going to be a new slate and a clean slate. And you've got to have those positive interactions with, with your colleagues or else it's, it's all it is, is this, this, Oh, not again. Yeah. You know, man, that's like the beautiful part about this gig. This is, um, this is the one of the few gigs on the planet where every day the sun rises, you can start over from fresh, brand new. Here we go. Just like never happened yesterday. Let's do this. Absolutely. And you teach your kids that too, you know, like just yesterday. I, You asked me how my day was yesterday. I would have been like, it, it was horrible. <laughs> it was not fun at all. Right. Um, and I ended the day, you know, before the bell rang, I said, guys, I'm going to be, I'm going to be real with you. Today sucked. It really did. Um, you were off task. We had a hard time controlling our conversations and being on task with what we needed to do. And it was rough. But you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. 
and tomorrow we're going to be better. Yeah. And I kid you not, my kids walked in today, they were on it. Yep. And they were just focused and they were amazing. You're going to have your bad days. Yeah. But every day is a new one. And, you know, I think just owning it, man, like that's such, it's such a powerful thing to express to kids. Hey, listen, uh, hey, hey, family, let me talk to you before we get started with today's lesson. Um, let's talk about what happened yesterday. Um, what happened yesterday is your conversations were really loud and I was yelling, but you couldn't hear me because you were so loud and you were yelling at me or yelling at each other. And I knocked over my water and went across the table and everything's wet. And then the bell rang and you ran out the door. Well, what happened yesterday is I let you guys be in control of my emotions. And you were yeah. very effective. Thank you for your effort. However, today, I'm going to take that roll back for the foreseeable. There's <laughs> going to be another chance at some point this school year, but not today. I'm going to own those emotions. I'll take care of it. I'll be in charge. Let's get started. Because that's really what happened. And Helmet, they all know it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think another huge, powerful thing is apologizing in front of your class. Yeah. When you, when you know you made a mistake to your kids and you know you messed up somewhere – I think it is so valuable to be up in front and it's humbling. I mean, you've got 30, 30 different kids looking at you, which gets 60 eyeballs looking at you and you go, I, I, I messed up guys. And it's my fault. I, I, I probably flew off the handle when I shouldn't have. I should have kept myself in check and I didn't. And it, it's not you. It's me and my lack of control. And for that, I apologize and I'm going to work to be better. And when the kids see that genuine, genuineness inside of you, inside of a teacher, they're, they're more willing to buy into whatever you're going to say because they know you care and they know that you're working to better yourself. Yeah. It's crazy effective. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <clears throat> you know what, man? I was thinking um, my first year I had uh, – uh, I forget what it was. I can't remember the situation, of course. But it was at the end of the end of the day. It was on a Friday. And this kid is kept telling he's trying to leave before the bell, last period of the day. I'm like, no, Mike, but ended up, you know, he's yelling at me and I'm yelling at him and he opens the door and just walks off. Just, and then, you know, he's getting, he's like 30 feet away and a bell rings and I can't go get, there's too many kids. I get, I'm like, and I was just, and then the other kids in the class were laughing. You know, it was just one of those first year teacher horror stories. And you just feel like an idiot. Man, I just felt so stupid. I felt embarrassed and humiliated. I'm so mad. And um, I, when I first started in this little town, and I lived by myself, and I didn't know anybody else in the town, so I, like, um, you know, I'm just pacing around in my apartment, just fuming, man. And you know, and, fr and f that was Friday night, Saturday. I'm just mad. Or Sunday, I'm th I'm writing down notes of what I'm going to tell this kid, and you better wait. I'm find you. And I get to school early, and, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting at the buses, man. I'm waiting. When buses drop the kid, I'm, and here he comes. And he and he's get and he's talking to his friends, and he gets like 20 feet away, and he looks up and he sees me. And he goes, Bowman, how's it going, man? How was your weekend? And he like runs up to me and like, he wants to like jive, shake it up, a handshake, you know? And I'm like, well, hey, man. And he goes, hey, man, how's it going, man? And, and like, it's so apparent this kid has no, I've been mad for, I've been mad for like 72 hours. He hadn't even thought about this once since Friday. <laughs> and he, and then I said, hey, man, I want to talk to you about what happened on Friday. Cool. What happened, man? I'm like, what? You, you walked out of, you stormed out of the class, and everybody's laughing. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like you got to learn, man. Like, you know, that's. I think if I was good, I wasn't great at much. I was good at a lot, but one thing I was great at, I, I think, because of those types of of situation, I was great at not taking things personally. They're just kids. Yeah. You know? I think it's important that we don't either, especially They're teachers. Just kids. Otherwise, yeah. oh my goodness, oh they are. 
<laughs> and they're good at pushing buttons. <laughs> that's what they're supposed to do. The kids. That's that's why they're. It's why it's why yeah. we have a job. Yeah, absolutely. It's called job security for a reason. All right. <laughs> hey man, what, what's next for you? I mean, here you you're walking around. You're in Idaho, and what you have? You're living in the dirt. You got a doctorate. And you're teaching and doing your thing, man. Are you? Are you? Is this it, man? Are you gonna stay there? Are you, are you thinking about the uh, some sort of a leadership position at some point in your career? Um, well, I'm currently. This is my last semester to get my EDS degree, so I'm actually getting an educational specialist degree in administration. Um, I am currently running for city council in Mountain Home for the political side of things, and November fifth is the voting date on that one. Um, and do they not know you're one of those you, hippies from Portland? Have they not found out yet? <laughs> I keep that under wraps. There you go. I keep it under wraps. <laughs> you keep your Birkenstocks uh, in the closet, man. <laughs> it's too cold to bring them out here right. anyway. <laughs> um, and honestly, I, what I would like to do is I'd like to put Idaho on the map for education, but in order to do that, it, a lot has to change. And so I'm actually putting myself in more positions of, of, of leadership and education inside of the state. Um, so once, you know, when I'm, when I, when I run for city council, I'm doing city council because there's a lot of things I want to see change in my city. I love my city. And I think there's certain things that we're going in a different direction that I don't want to go. And I believe if you want change, you got to be the change. You can't sit there and complain about it. You got to be the change. Yeah. And so that's what I'm doing. And so, and the same thing, I can sit here and complain all day about how education systems messed up and how things aren't being done right and how standardized testing is horrible. But if I don't put myself in a situation where I can make a positive impact or a difference in that, then all I'm doing is just breathing hot air. So I think for me, in my next step is I'm, I'm going to potentially get going for the state superintendent of Idaho. And I want that position where I can have a positive impact on the education, not only in my city, but statewide and start having those positive impacts with education, how we treat our students, the focus that we should have on our students and get rid of this, this need and desire that everything is numbers. We need numbers. I'm like, I'm sorry, that student is not a number. That student is an awesome individual who's going to do amazing things in life. So for me, I want to put myself in a position where I can make a change, make a difference, and instead of being the person that's complaining about it, actually do something about it. It's a long road. Somebody asked me um, about two years ago, what's your five-year plan or what's your 10-year plan? And I said, I'm going to sit on the Board of Education for the President of the United States. I will. Yeah. I will keep looking. I will do it because that's that's who I am. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, this is um, you know what's interesting is um, my wife uh, serves in all kinds of leadership positions in school organizations, whether it's um, you know parent guild and and PTO and all that stuff. And um, anytime somebody complains, she asks them what position they would like to volunteer for to make a difference, and they quit <laughs> complaining. Because people love to complain, but no one really wants to get off the couch and do something. And mm-hmm. you know what? What I love is when we find um, we find somebody who's in—I hate calling it the trenches—but in there with the kids and seeing the struggle of kids and families and and what these kids are up against, how hard this thing really is, and and it's almost designed. Like if you didn't know anything about school and you saw the way we have it set up in a lot of places, it's almost designed for failure for lots of kids that to see somebody to actually um, not just want to do something, but take the steps to make it happen so we can prove things for this generation, the leaders of tomorrow who are sitting in our classrooms today, man, it's just so impressive. I love it, brother. I'm proud of you. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's a hard, long road, and a lot of people are all like, yeah, we'll see. But like you, yeah. I, I'm a guy that likes challenges. <laughs> and besides that, who else? Like, who else is working on this? No, you know, buddy. Like, it's too, it's too big. It's like too hard. Right. This is one of those right. things that lots of people think about. Very few, if any, actually do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I came to a, a consensus to myself one day. I woke up one day and I'm like, look, you have, you have two options in life. You can sit there and run the life that you got. And you can be frustrated and upset that nothing's changing. You can go to school every single year, teach these kids, but complain that they have to do it. Or you say, I see, I see the problems here and I'm going to be a problem solver. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. One of the number one things I see problems in our education system is people making choices in education that have no idea what education is like. Yeah. And I seriously believe that education should be a bottom up where we should be looking at teachers going, what do you need? What do you know works? And how can we make this more effective overall? Yeah. Otherwise, you have these people up here making these decisions for these people down here. And we're going, are you kidding? Right. That's not going to work. <laughs> no. I mean, I can't tell you how many states and even on a federal level, the, I mean, a lot of these people have never even been in a public school. Their children haven't gone to public school. And like they even haven't, I mean, we have, I mean, she hasn't even stepped foot in a public school. And, you know, I've always said, and I, I do want people to have a school board for sure at the state level, but I really think we should have multiple boards where, you know what, I can tell you a couple of custodians that I've met, you need to have on a, on a, on a board that makes decisions because they know, they know the challenges of, of running a school and what that looks like on, on a logistical level there. I mean, the, the, I mean, just teachers, uh, you know, teachers, school leaders, I mean, food service managers in schools, those people know what it takes to serve children rather than somebody. Um, I, I, look, I'm, look, I, look, I know they're great people. I know they'd have, they're just unaware. They're, yeah. You know, like it's as if, I mean, this lady running this thing on the federal, I mean, she's a billionaire. Like, what if yeah. I showed up for her family meeting and said, hey, listen, I'm going to run the finances for your family now. She would freak out. Because I have no experience uh -huh. doing that. Just like I freaked out when she was going to step in to run education. She has no idea. None. Yeah, It's really bizarre. Absolutely. It's so strange. Uh, absolutely. It is. It is. And actually, um, so on one of my blog posts, somebody somebody wrote me this really long questionnaire. And it dealt with stuff like this. It dealt with privatized education. It dealt with um, school choice and all this kind of stuff. And I'm taking my time. Honestly, I'm taking my time because I, I want to... I want, I want to help people understand that the problem really is there should never be a need for school choice. Because honestly, because if, if schools were done properly, every student would be met where they're at and that they wouldn't have to go, that school doesn't work for me. Granted, I am also going to say there's certain schools like, you know, people decide to send their, their kids to different schools for religious purposes. And I'm cool with that. Private institutions are great. You know, I went to a private school growing up crazy enough. Um, but when you say like, oh, I don't want my kid to go there because it just doesn't meet his needs. That's a problem. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a problem. That's, that's a system problem that needs to be changed because there should be no schools out there that aren't meeting kids' needs. For sure. 
It's awesome, man. Yeah. Hey, listen, dude, I got to run. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this. I can't tell you how happy. I mean, that's a, you know, I always say I hate the internet, but what I love about it is I come across amazing people doing amazing stuff. And the fact that you um, would reach out and, uh, and spend your time with me, man, I can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate you, and I love everything you're doing. I love your energy. I think one of my favorite things is how positive and supportive you are. I just love everything about you. So thank you for this opportunity. This has been the Teach Like a Rockstar podcast with Hal Bowman. Subscribe, rate, and share from halbowman.com forward slash podcast. 